chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. Thank you, AJ. You are a phenomenal brother. You know, I always say that all the time. You're amazing, man. I love that guy. And it's good to see some old faces and a lot of new faces I don't know. Some of you don't know me, but like Pastor Stephen said, I was born and raised in this church. Amen. I was uh, homegrown. And, and <clears throat> those that um, know about homegrown, you know it's the best stuff, right? Amen. Let's just be real. Colossians 4. Let me put a disclaimer before I speak this message. And, uh, you know, nobody can do it like Pastor Steve. Amen. There's only one Pastor Steve, right? But I'm going to do my best. And I've kind of added some things um, from my own perspective in this. But I'm going to do my best to articulate uh, probably one of the most famous messages he's ever preached. And I, when Stephen had called me and asked me and said he was doing this legacy month, I said I, I knew right away. And one of the reasons uh, is because those that used to be in the play, uh, Eric and Geronimo, we know everywhere we go, pastor would preach this message, right? Everywhere we go, he'd preach this message. And so we heard it like 100 times, amen? So today's 101, amen? And, uh, uh, and, and me being an avid baseball fan and your pastor being a Giants fan and his wife and my wife and I being A's fans, amen? So... You know, we have some good times, amen? But I, I was thinking, he said, he said to do the Hayward Shake. He should make a video of that, amen? They've got the Harlem Shake. He should make a, a video of doing the Hayward Shake in this place, amen? All right, let's begin reading in uh, Colossians chapter 4. Do you have it? When you get there, say, I'm there. All right, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him and Jesus, who's called Justice. These are my fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision, for they have proved to be a comfort to me. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear witness that he has a great zeal for you and, and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas, also greet you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for waking us up, giving us life today. You didn't have to, but you did, Father, so we want to take advantage of it, and we want to know that we have been called for such a time as this, in this generation, this city, this uh, regional area, Father, to make a difference here and beyond. And Father, I pray today as we get into your word, let the word get into us. In the name of Jesus, and everybody says, amen, amen. Well, when you think about dream teams, probably the most famous one is the 1992 Olympic basketball team. I remember that dream team. It was by far probably the greatest collection of athletic ability on the basketball court ever in, in, in history. And so let me just give you a few names if you don't know, and you might not be an avid basketball fan. But that team consisted of people like Michael Jordan, amen, Air Jordan himself, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Patrick Ewing, David Robinson, John Stockton, Charles Barkley, and Carl Malone. And you got to line up like that, you would think as a coach, who in the world do I start? Amen. Who's going to ride the bench? Because these are all all-stars of, of all-stars. These are the prime, the, the primo, the supreme of that era. And I would even venture to say even beyond that era. Amen. And so they're the greatest Olympic team ever. Why? Because they didn't just win the gold medal. When you look at what they did that year, on average, this team beat their opponents by 44 points on average. It's not even, it wasn't even close. Nobody could even keep up with them. I think Spain gave them a good run that year, um, gave them a good game, but they ended up coming back and blowing them out too. Nobody could even come close to this dream team. Imagine if you're on a team and you know you're going to go out there and play, and you're going to beat the team by at least 44 points every time. You'd want to be on that team, right? Amen? You'd want to be on that kind of team. 
Well, God also has his dream team. And here in Colossians chapter 4, there is a lineup, if you will, of God's dream team. Now, this dream team is not necessarily a basketball team, but it's, it's the ones who God chose and who God used the apostle Paul to choose that would help him do the work of the ministry, that would help him preach the gospel, raise up people, disciple people, amen? Because you have to notice the difference, and I, I, I've been on this in my church for a while. There's a difference between being a disciple and being part of the multitudes that follow Jesus. When you read the gospels, the, the, there was a clear classification of both. As a matter of fact, in John, one time Jesus given this parable of, 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 about the parable of the sower, and Jesus says, I have hidden it from them, but to you I'm going to make known what it is. What is the difference? What is, what is the classification? See, I think sometimes we get some words mixed up, like Christian, like believer, like saved, like, uh, uh, um, uh, what was the other one I was, I was thinking of the other day? I was telling my wife, there's these words we use that in Christianity that we think that they, you know, they, they kind of classify us. Well, they're part of being saved. You're part of being a believer. You're a convert. You are converted to Christ. You are saved. What does it mean to be saved? When someone says, I'm saved, what does that mean? It means to be saved from judgment, to be saved from going to hell. That's what it means. And, and so somebody, I believe, can be a Christian and not be a disciple. When you look at these words in the New Testament, those words were used seldom and few times, like four times this word, three times that word for believer, uh, a, a couple of times for convert, a few times for saved. But the majority of the time in the, in the New Testament, the word that describes somebody who was really following Jesus Christ was the word disciple. And, and I, I've come to realize there's a difference between disciples and followers. You know what the difference is? Followers want deliverance. Disciples look for discipline. That's a big difference. They want deliverance. When you look at the crowd that followed Jesus, every time he fed them and delivered them, they were there. But when it came time to discipline themselves, they were far and gone. I mean, if I made an altar call today and said, I have an anointing. I have an anointing to pray for your marriage. To, that if, When I pray for your marriage, your marriage will be healed. You, you know, you'll have a new marriage. This place would be lined up for that. But if I said next week we're having a marriage seminar that's going to cost you 150 bucks, how many people would sign up and show up? Why? You want deliverance, you don't want discipline. I mean, with our financial class this weekend that we had, our, our first regional. If I said I have an anointing for prosperity, I have an anointing for wealth, and if I lay hands on you, your debt will be gone. You'll be an instant millionaire or you'll, you'll prosper in mighty ways. This place would be lined up here. But to say we have a financial seminar, tomorrow it's going to cost you 10 bucks, and nobody shows up, you want deliverance. You don't want discipline. Hello? You want deliverance. And let me tell you something. Can God deliver? Yes. Can God deliver his people? Yes. But in my life, in my walk, in 20-something years, there have been things where I came to God and said, God, I need deliverance. He said, no, Eddie, you're going to have to discipline yourself out of this one. You're going to have to discipline yourself out of this situation. You're going to have to discipline yourself in your marriage. You're going to have to discipline yourself in this area. And too much of the world, when you see the church today and the church as a whole in the world, most people, are why do you think these people like Benny Hinn and them could pack out stadiums? Because believers, not not sinners, believers looking for deliverance when half of them probably should be disciplining themselves out of that situation. Oh, I'm preaching today. You don't like me no more, do you, huh? He said, go back to sack because I want deliverance. It's the truth, though. I mean, think about it. Like my daughters watched that show, Say Yes to the Dress. I hate that show. Amen. Because I got four daughters. That's four dresses. And they go to that place in New York where there ain't no cheap dresses over there. I said, no, no, no. When you get married, we're going to the locals market on Franklin Boulevard with that old Spanish lady who makes the dresses. That's where we're going. Amen. Forget Neiman Marcus. But think about this. People will spend thousands of dollars to get married but won't spend 150 bucks on a weekend getaway to stay married. Thousands. 
thousands of dollars that won't spend 150 bucks on a date night or a weekend with their wife to stay married. You want deliverance, you don't want discipline. So let me say this with that in mind, then what are you? Are you a disciple or are you part of the multitude? Oh, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church. So with that in mind, to be part of a team, you got to be disciplined. When you look at any team in any sport, whether it be soccer, basketball, football, baseball, any team, when that team goes into a slump, you know what happens? It's when those players, those key players, get away from the fundamentals or the disciplines that got them there. And what the coach will do, the swing coach in golf, the hitting coach in baseball, the fielding coach in baseball, the receiving coach in, in football, the quarterback coach in football will get that person back to the base and say, you know what, you're not doing that right no more. You're putting too much weight on your front foot. You should be really putting your weight on your back foot. You shouldn't throw like that. You th- For some reason, you got this hitch in your elbow now that wasn't there when we first drafted you. Let's get you back to the basics, back to the disciplines that made you great. And this church was built on discipline. This church was built on people, a team, that disciplined themselves for greatness. Are you with me? So with that in mind, we're going to use the analogy of baseball here. Because there's nine players we're going to talk about, and there's nine players on the field in baseball. It just fits. And there's nine batters in baseball. And so I want, I want to use this because some of you, you're going to know your place in this church. Or you're going to discover your place in this church. Right now, you might be new and saying, where do I fit? Well, praise God, you're in the church means you're in the lineup. Amen. You might be writing pine right now. It's all right. You know, writing pine means sitting on the bench, writing bench. But it's okay. We still love you anyways. But we want to get you part of the team. We want to get you to start swinging. Amen. I remember this one guy in our church, his daughter was playing softball with my daughters. And everybody was just gross. I mean, she was very, very big. Tall, huge, like big for her age. And you knew if she just got a hold of one, it was going to go a country mile. But she would never swing. And we started all offering her money. I'll give you 20 bucks if you just swing. Just just swing. Just, I'll give you 10 bucks. Even her coach. Uh, what do you want? The coach said, I'll buy you an iPod. Just swing. Just, just swing the, the bat and shoot. No, no. Just every time. And you knew. And it was funny because every time she got up, all the players went, oh, my goodness. And they all backed up to the fence. But she never swang. She was on the team, but she never swang. Some of you, you still ain't swinging yet. It's all right. We're going to get you to swing today. Batting first, number one, Tychicus. Tychicus is a leadoff hitter. Why does Paul mention Tychicus first? His name means fortuous or fortunate. Why? Why? Tychicus, and Pastor Steve used to call him Ty Cobb Tychicus. Ty Cobb Tychicus, because why? Ty Cobb was one of the greatest, greatest leadoff hitters of all time. See, to bat first in God's dream team, to bat first, you have to be a cutting edge kind of guy or girl. You have to be someone that can get things done in the church. You know, you know what I look for in my church? I don't look for the most talented. I don't look for the most creative. I look, first of all, for able people. Secondly, I look for problem solvers. Because I'm a type, I hate to be bothered by little problems. What do you think about, why even ask me that question? Come on, you should know by now. I'm not the most educated person, but I'm a problem solver. I, I've learned to be a problem solver. My church has gotten to where it is because I've, I've learned to be a problem solver. And if you're going to bat first in God's dream team, then you're going to have to be a kind of person that can get things done, that, not, that doesn't have to talk to the pastor for every little decision they make. You can figure it out then say, hey, pastor, I did this. I made this decision. What do you think? What is this kind of person? They're a multidimensional person. Sometimes people want to bat first in the church. They want to be the first one up, but yet they're one-dimensional. All they can do is hit the ball to left field. They can't go the opposite way. They can't go deep. They can't, you know, uh, sacrifice a fly when they need to. They can't bunt when they need to. They're just a dead pull hitter. That's their problem. They're a dead pull hitter in the things of God. No, if you are going to bat first in God's house, you must be multidimensional and be able to understand that there are certain times and certain places in ministry 
where you have to wear different hats. To these people, they're close to the pastor. But the Bible says Tychicus knew all about Paul. Why is that important? Because if the pastor's the coach, then you need to know that it's not cool to play behind the pastor's back. Amen. You know, you have those. They have agendas. They have agendas. They come in, they have agendas. They say, oh, I might be able to do something here. They have hidden agendas. You're not called to play behind his back. You're called to get his back. The, the, the number, the leadoff hitter, a Tychicus-like person, they have to be trustworthy. They have to be dependable. They have to be able to handle pressure. You have to handle pressure because sometimes the pastor is going to share with you about the, the financial situation or about the, 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 the attacks that's going on in the church, the way the enemy is hitting or certain things that are happening. And you have to be able to fight off those spirits. Pastor Steve used to always say, not everybody can hang around with me because they can't handle the spiritual attacks. I used to try to figure out what did he mean by that until I started hanging around with him. Oh, my goodness. There was devils everywhere. Devils hidden, devils attacking, devils trying to discourage me. And so you have to know if you're going to be a leadoff guy in the church, you have to be a guy that your pastor can say or your pastor's wife can say, they can handle it, they can do it, they'll figure out a way to make it happen, they're a problem solver, they know how to get on base somehow, some way. Sometimes you got to take, you just got to take, take a walk. Sometimes you got, it's, that person has to have wisdom. They got to have wisdom. They have to be very uh, uh, um, uh, knowledgeable and have discernment and be able to hear the voice of God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, not my lambs. Why? Because lambs are immature. Sheep are mature. And it takes maturity to hear the voice of God. Lambs don't really hear the voice of God too well. They have to be uh, trained and taught how to hear the voice of God. But sheep should know the voice of God. And if you're going to be that sheep that's batting first in this church, we need you to hear the voice of God. You guys know that. Those who are from the, the, uh, uh, the time of Pastor Steve, he would always teach us that. I remember one time we were doing the play at, at, at Centennial Hall right here. And as usual, um, I would be in charge of the lineup and the schedule and, and the whole order of everything. And so I'm talking to Pastor one day. And uh, we're getting ready for the service. And this guy walks up. One of the youth, which many of you know who he is. And so, Pastor, we're talking about who's going to testify and who's going to do this and who's going to do that. And I go, well, what about this guy right here? And Pastor Steve didn't want him. But he didn't want to hurt him. So he just said, okay, that's fine. But I saw, I saw it. And I walked away and the Holy Spirit just convicted me and said, why did you just front off your pastor like that? Man, I started crying. I got, I, oh, man. I just put him on the spot. This guy's a joke anyways. He's half saved right now anyways. Amen if there's such a thing. And I remember I went back to pastor and no one was around. He was getting ready because remember he used to come out with his part. He would get his jacket on and come out. And I want to introduce you to the writer, the director, and all that stuff. So he's getting ready and he's getting all trolled down. Amen. He's getting ready. And I said, pastor, I need to tell you something. He says, what? I said, I'm sorry. Man, as soon as I did that to you, I walked away and the Holy Spirit convicted me. And he said, he's, he's, when, he would, when he would talk to me, he would often refer to me as son. He said, son, it's okay. I'm just glad you listened to the Holy Spirit. Because I'm not going to always be around, Eddie. And I need to know that you can hear from God. And that is so true. Why? Because if you're going to bat first, yeah, you may make a mistake. You might blow it. You might do something wrong, but can you hear the voice of the Spirit say, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have acted like that. That's the kind of people we need that are going to bat first. Batting second, number two, a guy named Onesimus. Onesimus' name means profitable. He's, why is this guy profitable to the Apostle Paul in his eyes? Why, why is he batting second? Because in baseball, batting second is sometimes the person who gets the most unnoticed, who does a lot of good work, who doesn't always have the highest batting average because his job is to be willing to sacrifice so somebody else can succeed. 
If it means get the runner over, if it means get him to do a, a hit and run or to lay down a sacrifice bunt or to lay down a sacrifice fly, this guy is the one who often goes most unnoticed. He's usually in the shadow of the first batter. He's usually in the shadows of, of, of the coaches. But he is so crucial because why? See, Paul says in verse 8 about this guy, he will comfort and care for you. I'm sending him to comfort and care for you. What are, what are these guys? These are the pastoral kind of guys that always don't get to preach behind the pulpit. But they're, you know what a number two batter is? It's a contact hitter. They have contact with people. They have to have contact with people. That when the pastor, your pastor's a visionary. He's a visionary. We're going to do this and do that. He needs the second batter to say, okay, come on. we got to go along with pastor. we got to do this. Let's go. Let's make this happen. They might not get to preach all the time. They might get unnoticed all the time. But your position is so crucial. And you have to know where God called you to be. Because if you don't know where God called you to be, you're going to have a hard time. Playing second fiddle. Hard time playing rhythm guitar instead of lead guitar. See, they don't often get the applause of men, but they sure do get the applause of God. They're the second chair kind of leaders. The ones that can say, okay, pastor. You know, they're the ones that sometimes take the hits. They're the ones that take the rebuke for you. Man, I used to get rebuke for the youth all the time. All the time, Pastor, I would see him like, oh, I didn't want to see him right now. I know they're gonna, he's going to rebuke me. Josie would have that look and say, come here, come here, come here, come here. And I would be like, I didn't do nothing. I wasn't even there at church. I was playing hooky that day. That happens sometimes. You have to be comfortable with playing that role. But we need you. Not every minister is going to be the one to preach because that might not be your gifting. When you preach, people sleep. Their mind wanders. They Facebook. They Twitter. They Yahoo and Google search, everything. Because you're boring. It's okay. Be boring, but make contact with people. Love them. See, the number two batter, they know they have to be a contact hitter. In other words, they don't strike out a whole lot. They have to get the ball, the bat on the ball for the first guy to possibly have a chance to score. And here's the reality is that, you know, when you look at them, this is, in the old days, this was often the second baseman in the old days. Now baseball has changed. They just have athletes in different positions. But in the old days, often the second baseman was usually the second batter. And they were that contact guy. Not great home runs, not great batting average. But, man, they were so crucial in scoring and often would get most unnoticed. And the reality, often the, the most unpaid for their services. And you have to understand that. You have to know and be content in who you are. If that's who you're called to be, praise God. I could see some guys like that. I see some guys already like that. You're here. And you got to be comfortable in your calling. Because if you try to be something you're not, you're going to be frustrated. And you're going to hurt and frustrate a lot of people that are underneath you. Be comfortable. If that's your place, praise God. Do it well. Amen. See, what are these guys? They're armor bearers. Because the Bible says this guy in verse 9, he knows all about the pastors. And it's funny because these guys and these women, they hang out with the pastors. They're there to catch the vision, to get instruction. And ironically, in doing so, they know their strengths and they know their weaknesses. These are the kind of guys the pastor can count on. And he can actually the kind of guy that the pastor likes to be around because the pastor can be himself and know they're not going to be judged. I have guys like that in my church. Guys, now that I just start letting be like that, where I can just be myself and they're okay. They still know that I'm, 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 God, I'm the one leading the church. I can just be me. I don't have to be something else or different. I can't do that with everybody. If I do that with some folks, they'd be like, what? Because I'm crazy. Ask my wife and kids. I'm crazy. But I love Jesus. But I'm, I'm me. And if I don't do me, I'm not going to be any good for anybody. We have this mentality that God saves us and then, you know, God wants to sissify us and make us this and make us that. And no, I'm, I'm me. Yeah, I'm Eddie. Yeah, I have character. Yeah, I have integrity. Yeah, I have those things. But I'm still me. That's Pastor Stephen. I'm still me. I still do me. That's me. Like me, I love music. 
I listen to all kinds of music. I, this is my, my perspective on music. Music will either motivate you or corrupt you. You decide what you want, want it to do. There's some music that's going to corrupt you, but there's some music that will motivate you. Like I've been on, on the treadmill working out, praise the Lord. She's a maniac, maniac on the floor. I'm an 80s guy. Don't hate. It's motivating me to work out. Amen. Right? Modern love. David Bowie. You could in my house by 8 o'clock, you don't see me in there sweating and working out because, you know, she's a maniac. Amen. But it motivates me. No pun intended. Amen. But hey, it's, not, it's motivating me to get in shape. Amen. So I'm saying, be you, do you, be you. Don't try to be somebody you're not. Be you. Betting third, this guy named Aristarchus. How many are with me today? All right. Verse 10. Aristarchus, his name means the best ruler. Who is this guy? This guy was a fellow prisoner with the Apostle Paul. Now, when it says fellow prisoner, what that actually means is he was actually shackled to the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine being shackled to the Apostle Paul? I mean, every time he had a visit and the Apostle Paul saying, it's Bible study time. Well, I got a vi- it's Bible study time. Child time, cover child. We're going to fast today. I'm not going to risk I'm fasting. What? Can you imagine being shackled to the Apostle Paul? Up all night praying. Hallelujah. I can't sleep, Paul. I can't sleep. But, but him being shackled to the apostle Paul got him saved. Who is this guy? These are the treasures out of darkness. You know, our ministry is now a two-track ministry where we have those who grow up in church, which we call treasures out of lightness. They grew up in the light. They know church. They can do church. They know how to do this and do that. They, they grow up in their life. But we still have to remember we're called to reach treasures out of darkness. And even though you grew up in lightness, you're called to reach treasures out of darkness and treasures out of lightness. Why? Why are they so important? See, because the bad third, you got to be a slugger. you gotta be, you got to have a slugging percentage, it's called. It's, it, you you got to be able to hit for more than just base hits and doubles sometimes. And once in a while home runs and once in a while triples. You're a slugger. Who are these guys? These are the rough kind of guys, the raw kind of guys, the real guys, the relevant ones that God has called out and specifically saved for such a time as this. Why, why is this so, are they so important? Because the Aristarchus keep us in tune with the vision, keep us in touch with the vision. If we don't reach them, we lose the vision. We need the Aristarchus in the church. I'm constantly in my church. Yeah, my church has a lot of people. We're getting professionals and great people in our church now, which is great. But I'm, I'm happy and I welcome them. We love them. But I'm looking for the treasures. I'm looking for the ones that came in with no hope, that were strung out, that had no purpose, that were lost like me, that if it wasn't for Jesus, they wouldn't be alive today. If it wasn't for Jesus, they wouldn't have their family today. We need them, guys. We need them. And we need to make them fill apart. We have the home with the homeless part of the church. They're not there to do all your errands. They're not there just to set up the church where you sit at home and watch cartoons. They're not there to do this and do that while you do this and that. They're part of the church just like you. As a matter of fact, we're supposed to be the example to them. Not them be the example to us. Are you with me? See, a slugger, a third batter is a slugger. What is a slugger? A slugger can step it up when they need to step it up. When they need that extra, more than just a base hit, they can come through. They'll find a gap in left field. Between left field and center, they'll take it deep to the fence to get on third. They can, they can stretch themselves and run a little bit faster to get to third instead of just settling for a double. Those are the kind of guys that need to bat third. They can step up when, it needs, when it's time to step up. Who are they? 
Those are the kind of guys and girls that say they'll do whatever for God. That's what I'm, you know, the last two years, I've been praying that prayer. I've been saying, God, I'm looking at my church saying, God, where were the guys like me? Where were the guys that, I had an Apostle Paul kind of salvation. Those of you who know, when I got saved, that was it. There was no turning back. I mean, literally from one day to the next, I was here at church. And you know my aunt and uncles, Judy and Dennis, they, had, they invited me to stay with them a weekend. And the church was having a, a men's, a Monday night men's fellowship with uh, a bonegas. And, Pastor, and my uncle said, do you want to go? He, he said, well, what's going to be? He says, Jesus, some men, and a bonegas. Hey, I'm there. A bonegas, I'm there. Let's do this. So we go. I spent the night. Wednesday came. Do you want to go to church? He just kept saying, yeah, 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 yeah. And after a week he said, just get your stuff and move in with me. And it was literally from one day to the next where when I got saved, it was just whatever you want, God. I didn't have to try this. I didn't have to fill this out. And I know some folks, that's, that's the way you operate. And that's cool. But when are you going to make the switch? When are you going to cross over? When are you going to step over the line and say, God, whatever you want. There's even some here in ministry now. You know, this generation, I'm, I'm worried because this generation lacks faith like the former generation. They want everything in place. We didn't get a salary when we went out. Pastor Steve didn't support us. People think, oh, you took over a church. Five people? Okay, amen. That was one family. That's all that was left. A family of six girls. I told that, pa that brother, your spirit jumped on me. I have four girls now. See, that's what happened. You brought that spirit to church. But we didn't have support. Most of you know we were only three months married. And here's the reality. Every pastor had to pay a price. But God never allowed my wife to pay a price financially. We've always been blessed. My pastor, and they paid a heavy-duty price financially. Heavy duty. And we would have these level four classes and he would say things like, I don't want to go out. You couldn't even buy a hamburger? I like hamburgers. <laughs> you couldn't buy diapers? You couldn't do this? I was like terrified. But you know what it was? In the, in the city we took over, and some that don't know, we took over one of the worst churches ever in Victory Outreach. Ever. Pastor Sonny would preach about it for years. And I'd hate going to men's meetings and conference because he'd mention that Sacramento. Oh, God, here he goes again. But he don't say that no more. It's turned around. But here's, amen. And why am I saying that? Because what paid the heaviest price was our marriage. I was praying one day and we were going through it. And that's why Pastor Steve was smart because we wanted to go to New Zealand. He said, no, it's too far. You're too new married. He knew. He goes, go to Sacramento. I can work with you still. It's close. It's close. Okay. But one time I was there and we were going at it. And we, were, we were having a, just a tough time. And the Lord spoke to me and said, if you don't change, you're going to go back. Just like that. If you don't change, you're going to go back. What? Because we, we looked at God to get this answer from heaven. It's okay, son. I have all things under control. Well, that's true. But he told me that day, if you don't change, you're going to go back. If you don't stop, you're not going to be able to bat first on my team over here in Sacramento. And I had to make adjustments. Had to change. So we never really went through it financially as some other pastors. We've always been blessed. But what put a heavy price was our marriage. It was very hard in the beginning. But it's not that way anymore. Amen. We both have made the changes and are still making the changes. Batting fourth. Who's the fourth batter? A guy named Mark. Mark, in, in baseball, the fourth batter is a cleanup hitter. He's the one that you put there with anticipation that somebody will get on base. That the, the first batter will get on, the second batter will move him over. The cleanup guy is going to hit a home run. He's going he's to do something to score. But here's what I notice about cleanup hitters. Just like in baseball, they may hit a lot of home runs, but they also strike out a lot. They, they, they strike out a lot. See, Babe Ruth hit 714 home runs, but he struck out 1,330 times. Almost double. Double strikeouts versus the amount of home runs. That's, that's why I love baseball because baseball to me is the closest sport that can compare or be paralleled to Christianity. Because just like in baseball and in Christianity, you could strike out more than you actually get on base and still be considered a success. 
Because if you bat 300, which means seven out of three times you failed, you're great. But you got on base. And it's that way in the kingdom of God. See, fourth batters, middle batters, they strike out a lot. Because why? Because when they do something, they go for the fence. They, they go for the fence. They, they, when they do it, they want to do it with their whole heart. See, Mark struck out. But in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, Paul said, send me Mark. He's good for me. Go get Mark. Bring him to me for I need him to help me. Look, look at the best fall, but the best get up. The best fall, but the best get up. I struck out many a times because Pastor Steve told me to go strike out. He didn't say it that way. He would say it like this. Go make noise. Go do something. Just don't make God look bad and don't make me look bad. Are you serious? You telling me that? To go make noise? To go do this? To go, oh, let's do this then. And a lot of times, I struck out. A lot of times, I swung for the fence and it flopped. Those who were with us in the, day, in the beginning days of youth, we did a lot of things. We struck out. But when we hit home runs, oh, how sweet they were. When we got a hold of one ministry-wise and we did those East Bay youth quakes and we started doing our own youth revivals and our, had our own budget and our own ministry events and our own street outreaches, our own sound system, our own this, our own that. We were a church within a church. We had our own leadership, our own discipleships. This, it was kicking. But on the way to get there, oh, we struck out a whole lot. A lot. A lot. It's okay. Because in God's eyes, you're still a success. I know some of you like that. You're here and you have big ideas. You, you want to hit home runs for this team. You're going to strike out sometimes. It's okay. But just keep swinging. You just keep swinging. You know where these, these people like? They're like David's. Their highs are high and their lows are low. Hello. Anybody like that? Your highs are high, but your lows, they're low. That's okay, though, because God knows how you, who you are and how you are. And as long as you stay a man and woman after God's own heart, he'll be there to pick you up in those low times. Are you with me? Batting fifth, we're moving quickly, a guy named Jesus called Justice. What does his name mean? His name means just. Now, why does... They named him Jesus because during this time, people uh, were expecting the Messiah to come. So a lot of people had named their kids Jesus. They were calling him, they were naming Jesus, maybe, thinking maybe possibly it might be the Messiah. And so that's why, you know, he's, his name is Jesus. And after they figured out he wasn't the Messiah, they said, okay, we better call him Justice. Amen. They changed his name. So he's Jesus, Justice. Justice means what? Just. What is a just person? A just person is someone who does the right thing. They have honesty. They're, they're integral. These are the ones that they're, they don't change often. They're those straight shooters. They've, they've stayed the course. They're not, they don't run too fast or run too slow. They pace themselves in the things of God. And yet they're the ones the pastor can count on. If you look at in, in the scripture here, it says that this guy, Justice, came and comforted Paul. Why is he a comfort to the pastor? Because the pastor don't have to worry about them. The pastor don't have to worry that they're going to be falling all the time. The pastor doesn't have to worry that they're going to be messing up and having a bunch of marital problems all the time and having this and that. Like I said before, yeah, we call this the Holy Ghost Hospital. It is a Holy Ghost Hospital. But some of you, you've been in the emergency room too long. And you should already be on the staff as a spiritual nurse or a spiritual doctor, but the pastor still got to always be with you in the emergency room. Here, pastor, bind my wound. Do this. I'm hurting here. Ow, here. And he's waiting for you to get on staff to help him bind other people's wounds. Hello? It's time to grow up. It's time to get a, get a, a thesoscope. Amen? Get your little mirror thing on your head. A little smock and let's do this. And wait at the door for hurting people to come in and say, how can I serve you? How can I help you? Why did the Bible say that, that uh, uh, Ziklag was called the city of David? Why? Because... When you conquer something, you have authority over that. You have authority over that area. It was a stronghold for Saul that Saul tolerated his life. He left it there. David said, no, 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 no. If I'm going to have complete victory, I can't let Ziklag still be there. I've got to deal with it. 
And so because David dealt with it, he had authority. It was the city of David. So you, you, you have things you have to conquer in your life. So when someone comes in and says, listen, you know what, my family was molested. Oh, go talk to brother so-and-so because he has authority over that area. Oh, listen, I'm on the verge of a door, divorce. Go talk to brother so-and-so and so-and-so because why? They have authority over that area. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm broke. I can't do this. Go talk to brother so-and-so because they have authority over that area. Hello? We need those kind of people that have authority over strongholds. I think we lose a lot of people in Victor Hours because they come in looking for somebody with authority to help them. They can't find one. Or you're not telling us. The Bible says that's wrong because you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Some people, they come in and act like, I don't want nobody to know. Are you kidding? This is victory outreach. I've heard more stuff in this church and my church than I've ever seen on a Jerry Springer show. Amen, somebody. Jerry ain't got nothing on Jesus' people. Amen. <laughs> this is the Jesus Springer show. Amen. I'm serious. Man, what could you have possibly done that we don't know, that we, that we haven't? You know, just your dad was counseling a couple. They just, they went there. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Okay, let me help you. They had some serious issues. You look at them, you're like, oh, they're great. They had some serious issues. I had to get in there and say, this is what you got to do. Here's how you're going to deal with this. But the pastor can't be the only one. They say, well, they always want to go to you, pastor, because you don't have authority. And that's why I when I was here with pastors, I needed to change. And here's the reality. When I was here as a single person, there was even married couples that I would counsel. Pastor said, go ahead, you deal with them. Okay. He goes, why? Because he just trusted me. There was authority in my life as a man that I could help other men, though he be married or single. You have to have authority. So don't get mad. They always want to go to the pastor. What are you doing that they'll come to you? Oh, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church. Amen. Batting six, Epaphras. The Bible says Epaphras is a prayer warrior. He's an intercessor. His name means charming. Aren't, aren't people that pray charming people? They've got that aura about them. They've got that countenance about them. He's an intercessor. Paul says he prays for you all the time. We need those who will speak to God on behalf of the church, who will intercede on behalf of the church. Why are they so crucial? Because they keep the heart of God in the church. They're the ones that can say, Pastor, I'm not sure. I've been praying and I really, I'm not sure. Not in a disrespectful way, but in a way that says, Pastor, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's the thing that God wants us to do right now. Let's pray about it. Let's seek God on this behalf. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you know they, they're the ones in charge. And you do it with the right heart. You do it with the right motive. I had this one lady. You know, I'm very skeptical on, on mystical people. Everything's the devil. Everything's the devil. Everything's the devil this, the devil that. It's like, not the devil. You blame your flat on the devil? Change the tire. The treasure's showing. Hello, somebody. I'm late, Pastor. The devil give me a flat tire. No. The stupid treasure sticking out. Change it. Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, don't claim it. You're sick. Okay, I'm throwing up. I've got the runs. What do you call it? Don't claim it. Don't claim it. What, what do you mean? I'm, I got 105 temperature. What do you call that? Please, somebody tell me. What do you call that? You're sick. Paul didn't deny his, the reality of his situations. He didn't deny them. He said, we're broke down but not destroyed. We're crushed but we're overcomers. Paul didn't deny what he was going through. He said, but there's hope to come out. Don't be so mystical this and that. No, if you're sick, you're sick. Don't shake nobody's hand. You're sick. Amen. Give me an elbow. God bless you, brother. How you doing? All right. God bless you. Come with a mask or something. Amen. But some people just, everything's so mystical. You know why you do that? I know why you do it. So you don't have to take responsibility for your own actions. Let me give you the ghetto version of that mystical person. You ready for the ghetto version? Hate the game, don't hate the player. That's the ghetto version. 
other words, don't judge me, just hate what I do. Well, you do what you do because of you. Hello? That's, that's the ghetto version of it. That's the Ebonics version. It's, it's the mystical people. That, and I'm, I love prayer warriors, but come on. It's not always the devil. It's not always this. We've got to make sure. Every person that comes that's sick or epileptic is not always the devil. They just have conditions. Every person with Down syndrome or whatever, they're not always the devil. Hello. It's just part of life. There, there are dysfunctions and things. And you've got to be careful and use discernment. You can't be laying claim to that every time. Because that hurts people. And you know what it does? It makes them feel like they got no faith. But I'm the kind of guy, I believe in stepping out faith. But to me, you know what's more powerful than stepping out faith? is waiting faith. Abraham, 20 years waiting for his kid. Trusting God, believing God. Well, a lot of guys can step out, but can you wait on God? I waited on God for 10 years with my wife. That was waiting faith. I'm still waiting on God for my building. After what I've been through, losing $300,000, still waiting on God. Oh, it's easy to step out, but can you wait on God? That's the most difficult thing to do in all Christianity, waiting on God. Waiting on him, waiting for him to do it. So, yes, we, we need the intercessors, but don't be so mystical. Don't think everything's a spirit. And you've got to bind and rebuke everything. I'm all for binding and rebuking, but I've seen too many people bind and rebuke the devil one day and cuss the wife out the next day. It's like, who are you binding and rebuking? You try to bind and rebuke me and look at the way you're acting. And you're all screaming, I bind you, devil, and all spit and slobber and everything coming out. And it's just like. I'm not even in this. That's you and your wife. Hello? You want deliverance, not discipline. Batting seventh, Luke the doctor. Luke is a power player. He wrote the book of Acts and wrote Luke, the gospel of Luke. Who are the Lukes of the church? I love this. They don't care where they end up at as long as they get to bat. Oh, glory to God. Those are the kind of guys that are just glad to be part of the team. Those are the kind of guys that know that if it wasn't for Jesus and this ministry, they wouldn't even have a team to be a part of. They're grateful men. They're, they're, they're a rally guy. You see the seventh batter often in baseball, he's a guy, if you look at a lot of statistics, that often starts the rallies. He's a guy that's not the best leadoff hitter, not the best home run hitter, but he's going to make something happen. He'll make something happen. He's like the top of the order sometimes because it's 7, 8, 9. And he'll get things going and you bust out your rally caps. Why? Why are they so crucial? Because they don't have an identity crisis. 2 Timothy 4.10 says, only Luke is with me. Well, they're loyal men. They're loyal women. They have longevity. There's some great people like that. I think of Juan and Gloria in this church and, and Joe and Cecilia and, and Irma at the door. These are those kind of people. They're those Lukes, those, those players who've been here, who've been loyal, who have endured the temptations, the attacks and, and ridicules that enemy try to do in this church. This is a comeback church. This is a comeback church. This, is, this, this church has been through some things. And everybody loves a comeback. Don't you love when your team is down after the second half and there's no hope and they come back and win? Oh! I know the Niners fans thought that was going to happen on Super Bowl, but it didn't, but amen. I just had to go there. Amen. You know, I, I hate going to the game with Stemwon because when I go to the Giants and A's games, like this last time we went to, and Toby was there too, and so was Will, but he's in Africa, so I can't blame him. Amen. Man, my team was killing him. Killing him. Till the seventh or eighth inning. And the stupid seventh batter gets up. <sighs> Rally guy. They're the ones that people look to to keep this thing going. That when all hope seems lost, they can keep the team on target. I love Juan and Gloria so much. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. The bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you. You, Joe and Cecilia, Irma, and many more, I appreciate you so much. They know who they are. They're often educated but not big-headed. Amen. <laughs> Batting eighth. I'm almost done. Batting eighth in God's lineup is usually the last batter. I know there's nine, but I'm going to tell you why there's a ninth batter. Batting eighth is a guy named Demas. 
And Demas is a guy whose name means popular. And Demas had a great start. But Demas loved the world. Demas loved the world. Demas couldn't find uh, comfort just in Christ. He found more comfort in the world. 2 Timothy 4.10 says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. You know, the Lord one day gave me a, 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 a revelation. Because what I see is drugs is not our problem as big charge folks. People don't backslide most of the time to get high. Because it's not an innate thing. It's often from situations or things that happen. You know what our biggest problem is? Lust. Now, when I say lust, most people are like, oh, sexual lust. No, there's all kinds of lusts. There's a lust for power. There's a lust for money. There's a lust for material things. There's a lust for comfort. Lust comes in all kinds of forms. Us as VO people, our biggest battle is lust, not drugs. Now, why, why lust? Watch. And what is the trigger for lust? You know what it is? Pain. That whenever you're going through a difficult time, it's causing pain, whether it be your marriage, your family, your finances, even your own church. Lust says, go do this and feel better. Go do this and feel better. Go be with that girl and feel better. Go shopping, spend all your money, feel better. Go gambling, whatever it is your advice, go do this and feel better. It's lust. So what I call it? I call pain a trigger. So if you don't pull the trigger, guess what? The bullet don't come out. It's a trigger. And I've learned in my life, when, 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 one of the most painful times we lost that building. Lust was knocking at my door. Just do this, just quit. The lust to quit. The lust to go get a job. The lust, it was a lust for normalcy, to go be normal. Just to get a job and be normal, it was knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. And I knew if I pulled that trigger, I would regret it later. Oh, sure, I might feel good for a moment, but later on, I would regret it. See, that's what demons could never get over. I've seen too many guys in the church that, that lust comes and they pull the trigger. They're going through hard times. They're going through difficult things, and they keep pulling the trigger, and they wonder why they got to keep starting, if you will, at the bottom of the lineup. And the leader and the pastor and the coach wants them. They love them. They, they're there. They're going to coach them through it. You can't make somebody do what they don't want to do. The word forsaken means left me hanging when I needed them the most in the Greek. Left me hanging when I needed them the most. I would see pastor try with guys. I would see pastor try so hard. And they would often forsake him when he needed them the most. He said, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be... You know, and for ladies, you say, I don't want to be that woman. I don't want to be that one. Yeah, we all have pain. I don't want to keep batting last and keep striking out and, and keep going to the world. And see, when you go to the world, really what you're saying is you're changing teams. Say, I don't like this team no more. I'm looking for better options. Here it is. I'm a free agent. I have a free will to do what I want. That's true, you do. And you might be able to choose, make the choices. But remember this one thing, my friend. God determines the consequence. God will determine the outcome of that. So be careful when lust comes knocking. Because there's too many demises that should be on the team. That had to get cut. Because they love the world. But God's a God of restoration. He's here. And batting ninth is a lady named Nymphus. Who is Nymphus? You look at verse 15, it says, Nymphus, who's at the house, greets you. Who is Nymphus? Nymphus is the ninth batter. And why am I saying Nymphus is the ninth batter? Because in God's house, on God's team, Nymphus represents those who, are, who aren't on the team yet, but they're coming in. They're the unsaved, the lost, those that are in their house, those that are doing their thing. It says, greet the brethren who are Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in the house. It represents those who are not here yet, but they're coming. And what does that confirm to us? There's always room on God's team. There's always room on God's team. Her name means bride. 
sees the bride to be, the bride of Christ to be. Those who are not yet married to Christ, those who have not yet been drafted by Christ, those who maybe the coach hasn't saw them yet and said, hey, this one can be on my team. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because we're all part of the team here, and some of you bat somewhere. But you need to know there's always somebody God wants to bring to start off batting ninth. You know, ninth is not a bad spot. Because you look at baseball, especially the A's, the A's master this. Often their ninth batter is the second leadoff hitter. Why? Why? What's the mentality there? In other words, you have double the chances. And you know why I call them the second leadoff batter? Because the new people, they find ways to get on base. They're just excited. They're just hungry. They'll, they're the ones that are often will give and do this and do that. It's those who've been on the roster a long time that often cause the most problems. They're the, they're the, the second first batters in Victory Outreach. And they're coming. They're coming to this church. How many can say amen to that? They're coming. They're coming. They are coming. Stand to your feet today. Like I said, I don't think anybody can do it like pastor. But I hope I did it justice today. And let me say this. The beauty about God's dream team and God's batting lineup, you can always move your way up. As you start getting back to your disciplines, getting back to those things that made you great, and start moving up again. You may have struck out a few times. That's all right. That's me. Boy, I can tell you, I'm a home run hitter. But I've struck out a whole lot, boy. But I know God's faithful. I don't know where you're at today, but your pastors, they need you. One day, I'll close with this. I know you're saying hurry up. I'm going to close right now. In this room is a box. If you look at any box, like a bike, when you go buy a bike, it's not put together. All the pieces are in the box. But the bike doesn't become a bike till every piece is in its place. And in this box is every piece to make this thing moving and operating and functioning as it's supposed to be. But it won't happen until everyone in the lineup is in their place and you're comfortable and content that's where you belong. Your pastor needs a lot of second batters that can surround him and say, don't worry, pastor, I got your back. We need those sluggers. We need the treasure of darkness in this church. He's a treasure of lightness, but his heart's for treasure of darkness. We need them in the church. We need those sluggers who can get up and, and you might strike out, but when we need a home run, you can hit it. We need those seventh batters. And as justices, pastor can say, every time he sees you, you're a comfort to him. He don't have to always counsel you because you do what's right according to God's word. And we even need the Demases because at least they get a chance to get on the team. And we pray for the Demases that they'll come back. Can I get a witness? Lift your hands to heaven. Quickly lift your hands to heaven. I was so broken in worship because as I was worshiping, I don't do this often. I really feel the Lord needs me to do this today. And Stephon Chill, I have a word for you. Lift your hands. And as I was worshiping, I saw this puzzle. I saw a puzzle. I saw God gave me a vision of a puzzle. And, 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 and in this puzzle, the last few years, God's been looking for pieces. Because somehow the pieces got scattered. And no one's to blame for that. And no one's to be judged for that. But the pieces are scattered. And in this puzzle, I've seen the Lord slowly putting pieces back where they belong. And matter of fact, some pieces that should be here are not here because they don't fit no more. But as God has been molding you guys and shaping you guys and growing you guys, the puzzle's being put back together. The puzzle's coming together. And there's going to be some great pieces. And the beauty about a puzzle is that no piece is greater than the other. Though some pieces of the puzzle are big and some are small, they all together paint the big picture of the vision. I want you just to know God's proud of you guys. And he says, don't be discouraged because I'm putting those pieces back together. And when he does, they're going to stay together. 
And it's going to be a masterpiece. It's going to be something so phenomenal that you have not even necessarily seen it happening before your eyes. Because he's been working behind the scenes in a lot of things. But they're coming together. They're coming together. And they're coming together as you two are coming together. You are those corner pieces. Because everything in a puzzle hinges on the corner piece. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love and your, and your loving kindness to this precious couple. Let me pray for them. Stretch your hands this way. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that they have endured and have been walking by faith without seeing the full picture of the puzzle come together. But Lord, it's starting to show now and it's evident. And you know every piece where it belongs. You will give them the wisdom to articulate that and to facilitate that in the name of Jesus. I pray for a financial blessing. I pray for their precious children. I pray for them, God. Oh, God, for Stevie, Lulu, and Elijah. And Mariah, bless them, oh God, in the name of Jesus. Secondly, those the Lord spoke to you as I was speaking. And you just need to come to this altar because you were, as I spoke, the Lord spoke to you. As we sing this song, quickly, the altars are open. Quickly, come to the altar of God. Hallelujah. Lift your hands.